Scripture today from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were able, they were not able to haul it in because the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciple came in the boat. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there, there were so many, the net had not torn. Jesus said to, to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of his disciples dared to ask, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we have been looking at salvation history, this large story of the Bible, and looked at how humanity has this trouble that it is separate from God, has broken relationship with God, and that God has been working to, to fix that problem throughout the Old Testament. Then we looked at the life of Jesus, how he answers so many of those things. And, and then last week, we got to the crux of the story, the heart of the story. We got to Easter where Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again that we may have life. This week, I want to I pause. I want to slow down the pace of this grand story we've been telling and focus in on a couple of smaller stories. I want to make this a little more personal as we think about Thomas and Peter and what the disciples were experiencing as they experienced and met the resurrected Jesus. Now, you got to think for a moment about what it must have been like for these disciples to have lost Jesus, to have him die on the cross. I mean, they've been traveling with him for something like three years. They've seen him do amazing things like, like calming the stormy sea, walking on the water, amazing catches of fish. They've seen him heal people who have leprosy, who are blind, who are lame. They've heard all these teachings about the kingdom of heaven, about prodigal sons, and about good Samaritans. 
along the way they've laughed they've had a great time they they've they've loved being with their rabbi their friend their teacher jesus and holy week started out great too they come into the to jerusalem for the passover and and everyone's celebrating jesus with palm branches raised and and shouting hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord and if you're a disciple you think this is pretty good this is this is Jesus, the Messiah, finally taking his place. But then Jesus is betrayed. Not just betrayed by anyone, betrayed by one of you. And then he dies. He, he's murdered in a brutal death on the cross. The disciples run away. Peter denies Jesus, uh, but, but nobody sticks with him. Everybody abandons him. They're... They're at some house in Jerusalem or outside of Jerusalem with the doors locked, the text says, because they're scared of, of what could happen to them. See, Jesus was seen as this, this leader of a movement, and they wanted to put down the movement. And so the disciples had to wonder if they were next, if the Roman soldiers were going to come knocking at their door to question them or to be sure they weren't going to try to carry on the Jesus movement. I've been thinking about these disciples hiding behind a locked door in fear a lot this week and through the Easter season because that's kind of how I feel right now. I don't know if anybody else does. We're sort of locked in our home. I'm, I'm out today to film this sermon, but, but for the most part, I've been in my home and we've all been a little nervous. Imagine the excitement, though, that the disciples must have felt as they started to hear stories from the women who went to the tomb and from the, this couple or these two people that are on the road to Emmaus that hear about Jesus and see him and meet him. So they're, they're gathered together and suddenly Jesus is in this locked room with them and, and he says, uh, fear not, be at peace. And whenever Jesus says that or an angel says that, it's normally because everybody's freaking out and I would be too if my master and my savior and my teacher um, had been crucified and is suddenly in this locked room with us, I would freak out. But he, he shows them the, the wounds in his hand or his wrist and the, the wounds in his feet and the, the, the wound in his side and they, they touch him and, and they, they eat fish with him. The, the text makes a big deal about how he is physically risen, how they can touch him how they can talk to him, how they can recognize him, how he eats this broiled fish with them. It really is him. And they're excited and they can't wait to tell everyone, except there's one of them that's not there. Thomas isn't there. And Thomas gets a bad rap. And in fact, we often, even in our, our vernacular, even people who don't know this story, they talk about being a doubting Thomas. But it's pretty amazing uh, that he gets such a bad rap because i got to be honest, I'm not sure I would buy it either. I'm not sure I would buy it either. And what does Thomas say? He says, unless I can feel the wounds, unless I can see them for myself, then I can't believe this story. And amazingly, Jesus does come to Thomas. But the text says it's eight days later. Thomas has to be doubting and questioning for eight days. Have you ever been outside of a secret or outside of an experience? I remember one time we, were, we went whale watching in Virginia Beach, 
and there was a lady, I swear, wherever she was looking, the whale was somewhere else. And, and for a long time, she missed the whale until finally she got to see where the whale was. Thomas must have felt like that for eight days. He doesn't see Jesus. And then finally, Jesus appears in another room and Thomas is there. And, and here's the amazing part. Thomas, who's been so doubting, Jesus goes right up to him and says, here, touch me and see. Jesus knows exactly what Thomas was demanding. Thomas doesn't ask to touch him. Jesus makes the offer to say, I know what you need to believe me. Here it is. Of course, it is eight days later. I love that in our faith, there's room for doubts. There's room for doubting Thomas. Because I feel like doubting Thomas sometimes, and I bet you do too. So we don't know where this happens, that, that uh, Jesus finally sees Thomas, if they're still in Jerusalem or if they've moved to Galilee. But, but at some point, they do go to Galilee, and Peter decides that he is going to go fishing. So he says, I'm, I'm going to go fishing, and six other disciples go with him out on a boat to fish. I wonder what this whole thing has been like for Peter. Peter, who was so bold as to get out of the boat and walk on the water. Peter, who was so bold as to try to defend Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But then, when he's, when he's talked to by a uh, servant girl in Caiaphas's courtyard, denies Jesus three times just the way Jesus said that he would. Imagine the, the shame. Imagine the guilt that Jesus would feel or that Peter would feel in this moment. And every time he would see Jesus, it would be worse. So why does he want to go fishing? Is it just that he wants to go back to something familiar? Or is he at this point kind of thinking, you know, the discipleship thing really didn't work out. Maybe it's time I go back to the fishing that I used to do. And so he goes and takes the, a couple of the disciples, some of whom were also fishermen, and uh, he takes them out onto the sea, and they fish all night, but they don't catch anything. I, I wonder how awkward that was for Peter, right? I stunk being a disciple. Now I'm going to go back, and I'm going to be a fisherman like I used to be. No, wait. It seems I stink at that, too. I don't remember how to do that. I have nothing that I can do. And so it's the early morning. And the disciples are sort of sleeping after this busy night of fishing, these seven, and, and, and they have caught nothing. And they hear a voice from the side on the, on the shoreline at the Sea of Galilee saying, Hey, did, did you catch any fish? Isn't it the worst when somebody asks you how the fishing is when you haven't caught anything? They say no, and he says, Well, put your net down again on the right side of the boat this time, and, and you'll catch some fish. So they do, and... They have so many fish that they can't even get the net of fish back into the boat. They actually have to drag the net over to the shore to collect all the fish because there's no way for them to get it into the boat. And John says, this is the Lord. And I wonder what Peter was thinking at this moment, because if you remember the call story of Peter, Peter had fished all night and hadn't caught anything and Jesus came and stood in his boat and had him push out to the edge a little bit away from the water so that he could speak to a large crowd and then he told Peter to go ahead and cast his nets one more time and Peter caught all those a bunch of fish and what did he say to Peter 
he said, I will make you a fisher of men. This call story, you understand Jesus is redoing this call story. So John says, it is the Lord. So Peter, who is, I guess, stripped down for, uh, for fishing and sleeping in the boat overnight, puts on his cloak and dives in the water to swim to the shore because there's something like 100 yards off the shore. In the meantime, the other disciples are working to get these fish over to the shoreline. Peter then helps them get it to the shore and they find Jesus there cooking on a charcoal fire making bread and cooking fish. He takes several of the fish that they had and puts it on the fire as well, and they eat with him there. You can imagine when Peter dives out of this boat, uh, how the disciples must have felt he was so silly. Why wouldn't you help us with all of these fish? But I, I wonder if also there's something else going on there. Remember, there was another time that Peter got out of a boat on that same Sea of Galilee. And it was a time during a storm when Jesus came walking on the water. And Peter, Peter wanted to go out and walk to Jesus. See, see there, that was this amazing moment of faith for Peter. This time he's not walking, though. He's swimming. So after breakfast, Jesus has this conversation with Peter. We often call it the reinstation of Peter. Okay, he, he's fixing the broken relationship with Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he says some variation of tend my sheep or feed my sheep or feed my lambs. Jesus varies the language just a little bit. Um, And so they, uh, there's something interesting going on in this text, though, that's often missed in our English translations. Uh, in this text, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But, but the, in Greek, there are different words for love. I, I've often been frustrated with this, that in our language, we say love, and I can say I love my wife, and I can say I love pizza, and it's the same word, love. But, but in Greek, there are different words for love. So Jesus keeps asking Peter, Peter, Do you agape me? Agape is committed love. It's covenant love. It's relationship love. He says, Peter, do you love me with a committed, faithful love? And Peter responds, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Phileo. Phileo is a word actually you're familiar with because of the city of Philadelphia. Delphos City, Phila from phileo brotherly love. We call it the city of brotherly love, although Penguin fans don't call it that. Okay, but it's brotherly love. So when Jesus says, do you you love me with a committed kind of faithful love? Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you with a brotherly, friendly love. And he says again, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And then the last time in the Greek, Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? In other words, Peter, if all you got is phileo, I'll take phileo. If all you've got is, if you can't say that you're committed because of the things you've done and the mistakes you've made, I'll take it. And remember, this is the third time, just like Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus is undoing. He's taking back the denials. 
And then he says to Peter um, uh, a line about how he's going to be led where he doesn't want to go and how he's going to be stretched out. And, and John interprets that to be a prediction of how Peter's going to die. Peter, traditionally, it's held that he died on a cross, hanging upside down, actually, because he didn't feel worthy to die the way Jesus did. That Peter would be faithful. He would be faithful to the end. And then, in John, Jesus says, follow me. It's like the ultimate do-over. Okay, follow me. Let's do this. I'm going to make you fishers of men again. He, he, he's doing... He, he's fixing everything that Peter's done wrong. He's giving Peter grace. I love that Jesus has this grace for Thomas and this grace for Peter because so often I am Thomas and I am Peter. I doubt. I have questions. I have challenges. I am not as bold as I should be with my faith. I uh, deny Jesus um, by my actions. I let him down. I let myself down. And yet here's Jesus giving this grace. I love how Brennan Manning, the, the uh, author, talks about this. He, he calls it the relentless tenderness of Jesus. Relentless tenderness. The, the tenderness of Jesus just keeps coming at you, and coming at you, coming at you. Whatever mistakes you have made. That, that Jesus is, is helping Thomas. He's helping Peter. He's redoing. And, and that's the message I want you to hear today in this salvation history story. As we look at the personal stories of Thomas and Peter, I want you to hear this very clearly. That Jesus isn't just the Savior of Israel. He isn't just the Savior of the world. Okay, He isn't just the Messiah, the hope of everyone who came before. He's your Savior. He's my Savior. He's your hope. He's my hope. This isn't just this big salvation history of the world. It's your story. It's your salvation story. It's my salvation story. So whatever, wherever you are, wherever you're going through, wherever you are, are locked in a room with fear right now, wherever you have doubted Jesus, whether you, wherever you have denied him, wherever all these things have, come, have happened, the relentless tenderness of Jesus... The resurrected Jesus comes to you now, wherever you are, and says, I don't care what you've done. Follow me. I don't care that you can't say you agape me. I'll take your phileo. I'll take whatever you can give me. I will take it, and I will, with my grace, use you and send you to feed my lambs to do my work in this world. So that's maybe a little break from this big salvation epic that we've been dealing with. But I wanted to get a little personal after Easter to remind you that this isn't just some theological, historical act of God, but that God works like that in your life. That the resurrection isn't just about Jesus coming back to life. It's about you and I being reinstated and restored. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for Peter and for Thomas. I'm sorry for the ways in which I've been more like them than I should. But I thank you for your grace. Lord, heal, heal our doubts. Reinstate us. Give us grace. Teach us to agape, to love you with that kind of commitment. Teach us to follow you, even if it costs us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So just know how much Jesus loves you. Just know how much he has agape, committed love for you. And follow him. Amen.